Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and today I'm joined for the first time by my fellow Pounding the Rock writer and editor, Marilyn Dubinsky. Marilyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. I'm super excited to have you on here. I've been trying to cycle all of the Pounding the Rock riders through here, and I'm really thrilled to have you. So if you're ready to get started, I'm ready to get started. I'm ready. Bring it on. Awesome. So just so listeners know, uh, we are recording this podcast on November 11th at about 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. So let's go ahead and start with the San Antonio Spurs' most recent matchup against the Sacramento Kings. Were there any things that stood out to you about that game in particular? Uh, for starters, it's probably the same thing that stood out to everyone was the Spurs made their three pointers, which <laughs> makes things a whole lot easier. And uh, the other thing that stood out I mean, as I was covering the game, halftime came and went and you know, I was ready for, OK, when is the collapse? Is it going to happen again? I mean, that has been a bit of a problem this season and even in past seasons, they always have that lull. And the, the question is is it going to be bad enough that it costs them the game? They, after the Kings got out to a nine, two run, I think Doug McDermott bailed them out with a three and the offense immediately got back on track and it was smooth sailing again from there, even though it was a little defense optional at times, but (laughs) so those two things stood out to me a lot. They made their threes and they avoided a huge offensive lull. And let's go ahead and talk about the three point shooting. So they knocked down a season high 18, three-pointers. It was a season-best 56.2% shooting from beyond the arc. And also a season-high seven different players hit a three. And I kind of thought that's what kept the Spurs afloat. And you mentioned it. Their defense was optional at times. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that this was a great game, like a breakthrough game. Did you see this as a breakthrough game for the Spurs? Or it's just a night where they got hot. It's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, In some ways, it was a typical game for them other than the making the threes part. But I would say for the most part, it was kind of a typical home game against a mediocre opponent for the Spurs. The Spurs have definitely been better at home this season than they were last season when I think they had a losing record, which was crazy. So I came into this game expecting a win and they won with some really good offense, not so great defense. So it was, not the way they have typically won games this season, but I wasn't surprised that they got the win. 
Yeah, I wasn't super surprised they got the win. I think I picked Sacramento to win the game because they've been playing a little bit better this season. They actually look like an, an organization that's not completely dysfunctional for once in like the last couple of years. You know, Harrison Barnes was playing really well. De'Aaron Fox was playing really well. Buddy Hield was playing pretty well. And then, of course, you had Tyrese Halliburton who sat out the game. Harrison Barnes did not show up. Uh, Buddy Hill completely laid an egg for them. And I think in some ways on the defensive end, they kind of got lucky. I mean, those other guys weren't knocking down a lot of shots. They went pretty deep into their depth chart. Even Chemezi Metu got in there for quite a bit. A guy who Spurs fans are definitely familiar with. Were you somewhat worried about their defense at all? Or do you think, hey, you know, they had a good shooting night. They had a few lapses, but they're, they're going to continue to be one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. I felt like once they got over that, little Kings run to start the second half. I was confident the rest of the way. There is always that fear that fear that uh, Buddy Heald will go off on him. And I know they got an earful from Pop several times for leaving him open. And just for once, thankfully, he had an off night. I think the Spurs deserve that every now and then. I mean, the same players don't have to go off on him every single time every year. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't their most impressive win, but it was – fun on offense and we'll all take an offensive shootout every now and then because they're fun. Absolutely. Yeah. The Spurs haven't been a particularly good half court offense. They've been really good in transition. They took advantage of their transition opportunities. And I think defensively, even though they weren't great in the half court, like, you know, pop called a couple of timeouts when he didn't like some miss switches, miscommunication, missed rotations, guys not getting back. But I generally thought, you know, in transition, they limited the Kings. I think it was like seven transition points for the night, which is really good because the Kings are top 10 in transition offense. The Spurs did good in that regard. They kept them, you know, from shooting threes, even though there were quite a few open threes. And, and generally speaking, I feel like even if this isn't necessarily a big turnaround game, I was really happy with what I saw from the players coming off the bench. Yeah, Devin Vassell, Thaddeus Young, Lonnie Walker, and Bryn Forbes combined for 62 points off the bench, which was nearly 22 points more than their season average for points scored off the bench. How awesome was it to see guys actually show up off the bench, guys who have been a little bit inconsistent in, in Lonnie and Devin. And, and while Devin's been really good at home, I saw something on Valley Sports on, on their broadcast last night that he, you know, he's shooting like 60% from three at home, but like 18% on the road. So I think the guy likes playing at home, but let's talk about the bench for a second. Yeah, I agree that Spurs don't have a starting unit that's going to blow out other teams. And so it is always helpful when the bench can come in and provide a spark. They have a deep enough bench that it should be an advantage for them on most nights, maybe not against the top contenders. But, you know, for that advantage to happen, they still need to hit their shots. And we've we've seen a few games where maybe only one or two guys showed up off the bench, and those have been the ones they've been losing. So to get a big boost off the bench, that takes some of the pressure off the starters, and they feel free to play a little more loose. And, I mean, for the entirety of the Greg Popovich era, the Spurs have benefited from uh, big bench play, and they still do today. Definitely. It was a little bit of a, of a downtick last season once they moved Jakob Pertl into the starting lineup. Their bench numbers went down a little bit, but they added a good amount of depth. I'm super happy to see Thaddeus Young playing. I, he's a guy who I've been advocating for minutes all season. We'll see if he continues to get minutes once Jakob's back. But it was nice to see the bench unit come in there take care of business, provide a ton of points, a lot of three-point shooting, some pretty decent defense, I thought, outside from, you know, some miscues from guys like Brent Forbes who aren't necessarily known for their defense. 
But the guy who was really the star of the show and who has been the star of the show, you wrote about him for Pounding the Rock. Really great article. Everybody at home should definitely check it out over on PTR. But DeJounte Murray, once again, the Spurs kind of went as he went. Talk about him a little bit since you wrote about him. You know, what, what did you see from him in this game? Well, he has been great so far this season. I mean, like everyone, he'll have an off night. He did against the Thunder, which was one of the reasons for their collapse and loss there. But he bounced right back. And it's a really good thing he's playing so well since, you know, we're all kind of waiting for Derek White to come along. And he's a player that tends to take a little while to get in a groove. But in the meantime, I mean, DeJounte Murray's putting up career highs across the board and points, rebounds, assists. Uh, I think he's right up there with steals. And I, I just felt the need to write about how good he's been. For some reason, he, it's been a little polarizing for Spurs fans that he's their best player with the not kind of being, you know, well, he's not a good enough player to make the Spurs a contender. That's not even what he was drafted to do or what his role was supposed to be. He was drafted to be the next point guard behind Tony Parker to, uh, you know, help lead the point for the Kawhi Leonard era. And I mean, he's far exceeded those expectations, especially for a 29th overall pick. And, you know, the, the fact that DeJounte Murray is playing so well and is the Spurs' best player shouldn't be a knock on him. He needs more players around him. And obviously in the long term, it'd be better if the Spurs find a player who's more suited to be a franchise star if they want to get back into the playoffs. But in the meantime, Murray should be getting nothing but love for his performance so far. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Somebody who was taken 29th overall in a draft, most of those guys are essentially they're, they're right near the second round. Most of them do not become starters. You're lucky if they become serviceable role players. He's more than a starter. I'm not going to say he deserves you know, an all-star nod necessarily, but he's been far and away the Spurs' best player. He's their leader in steals, deflections, points, rebounds, assists, minutes, shots taken. I mean, he's done everything for them and he's done so with, and and maybe this is a little unfair to the rest of the Spurs, but a less than ideal supporting cast, you know, and and maybe in a less than ideal role for him. Cause like you mentioned, maybe he isn't the guy who's the star player, the face of the franchise who can carry you to the playoffs or to contention, but he's a guy who could potentially be a piece that's part of that. And what we'll talk about that a little bit later, I kind of want to get into some of the other games or some of your other observations from this last week. So as we know, the Spurs played three games since we last recorded. They went two and one. They, they beat the Magic. They beat the Kings. They had a nail biter with the Thunder. Didn't work out like Spurs fans probably hoped it wanted to. But were there any major observations from you over this three-game stretch that you thought, you know, th- this is really positive or maybe, you know, not so positive? I mean, I would say their defense showed up for the most part. I mean, other than that second half against the, um, who are they, the Kings, which we already talked about. And I I think they got a little complacent just because the offense was rolling, which was fine. But even in the loss to Oklahoma city, the defense did its job. It was the offense that went on a lull, but, uh, but I mean, I have been happy to see the Spurs being a good defensive team again. They haven't been the last few years. And so that meant when the offense struggled, there was just no hope. Now it's good knowing that at least most of the time the Spurs have a defense that will keep them in games and keep other teams from running away. So I noticed that in their two to one week last week. I mean, really the only bad stretch of play they had was that third quarter against Oklahoma city. And it was enough to cost them the game, but other than losing that game, 
I say they did what they were supposed to do with this uh, stretch of games, which we knew would be important after the brutal opening schedule they had. And so overall, I'm proud of them. I, I wish I would have beaten Oklahoma City too. I don't know when the Spurs last won three in a row. It was probably the beginning of last season. But overall, I wasn't too disappointed in them. No, and, and I think it's fair to say that they probably performed up to expectations. Now, one guy who's been really essential to the defense, aside from DeJounte Murray, has been Derek White. But unfortunately, the guy has struggled, really, really struggled his last three games. And I'm not sure I've seen a worse offensive stretch from him over his career. Right now, he's averaging 4.7 points per game on 16.7% shooting over his last three games. Really tough from Derek. And I've I've seen some stuff from fans on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, you know, even on our site where they're saying, okay, well, you know, it's time to kick Derek to the curb. You need to put him on the bench. You need to start Devin Vassell. I'm not ready to say that yet. I think you still got to give Devin or um, rather Derek time to adjust, find his footing. What's your opinion on Derek White in, in that situation? I'm with you on that. He has always been a little bit of a slow starter to the season and when coming back from injury, which most of the summer was spent uh, rehabbing. And my opinion is give him like 20 games. So we're, we're giving him another nine game cushion here <laughs> and, and then you can start worrying. But really, if you watch he's taking good shots and a lot of them look like they're going in. I've lost track of how many have actually jiggled out on them. And it's some of it's just some rotten luck that will inevitably average back to the mean. The main thing he can't do is get down on himself. He can sometimes hang his head a little bit, but you know, if if you read all the articles and what his teammates are saying, they're doing everything to keep him up and positive. And with him, I think it's just a matter of time before he comes around. I agree. I think it's a matter of time before he comes around. And that's something else that I've, I've noticed. One of the things that you said was that shots are sort of rimming in and rimming out. And it seems like a lot of his shots are right now. And one of the reasons that I'm worried about his shooting isn't really his three-point shooting that I'm worried about. It's the other aspects of, of his game. In the past, we've seen him be able to get downhill, even though he's not the most explosive player. His burst has been seemingly worse this season, at least from my perspective. And it seems like another thing he hasn't really been able to do is keep guys on his back and then sort of change gears and get to the rim. He's been a little bit awkward in that area, but for me, the defense has been so good. I'm looking at some of the numbers here and I'll share them with you. He is number one in in shots contested among guards in the NBA. He's number three in blocks per game in the NBA for guards. He's one of only four players at the guard position who are averaging at least one block and one steal per game. And you look at his man-to-man defensive numbers, even if he may have some lulls here and there offensively. The man-to-man defensive numbers are really good. He, he leads the team, not just uh, you know guards, but this team, the Spurs team, with shots contested. 156 shots he's contested man-to-man, only allowing, allowing 44.6% field goal percentage, which to me, you can't discount his defensive impact. And for that reason, I think he's just such a good complement to DeJounte Murray, and I hope we continue to see him in the starting lineup. I agree. And I think we will, because I know there are, there is that contingency of fans out there that like to see the cell replace him in the starting lineup, but if for no other reason than he has earned his spot in the starting lineup and pop isn't going to take it away from him. I think he will keep starting. His defense will continue being stellar. And it's not like the bench needs his help, his help on defense. They have the cell for that. And uh, his offense will come around. He, like I said, he, always has these slumps 
he's usually slow coming out of the gates, coming off an injury. And so just give him time. The offense will come around. Meanwhile, the defense to me has 99% made up for it. And speaking of guys who've turned things around, Keldon Johnson has actually looked pretty good over his last couple games. He's starting to find a rhythm. He's had nearly 17 points per game on over 50% from the field. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the good from Keldon Johnson. And we'll talk about the bad, but I want to start out with the good because he has been improving. Well, there's always good things to say about Keldon Johnson, just his <laughs> energy, his tenacity is probably on a level Spurs fans haven't seen since Manu Ginobili. He just has a certain will about him that just makes it impossible to root against him. You want his energy. His uh, shooting is definitely coming around. I, I noted in the uh, Kings game, there were a couple instances where he, uh, instead of just bullying his way to the rim when maybe it wasn't there, he made sure to look for the shooters. And I think one of Devin Vassell's threes came from uh, Kelvin passing back out to him. So he's definitely trying to improve his game. He's, you know, he's getting the shooting down. His defense is always there. And as he continues to pass more and opposing teams become more aware of it, that will open the lane up for him even more. It, part of me kind of wonders, I don't know if you saw it, I tweeted about him having the lowest pass rate in the NBA out of drives. And then the very next game against the Kings here, we saw him, I think it was a, a season high, six assists, something like that, where he was passing the ball. And I doubt he actually saw it. He doesn't have Twitter, but it seemed like a strange coincidence that like right after I tweet that he's passing the ball, he was way, way more under control, like you mentioned, attacking the rim, but not recklessly. So I thought that was a little bit funny. I'm really happy to see Keldon Johnson sort of taking strides. A few of the things that still worry me about Keldon in terms of being a guy who can be one of your better scores is the fact that he just doesn't have that diverse of an offensive repertoire. We don't see a lot of moves, a lot of counter moves, a little stiff off the dribble. Not a great passer still, but making progress as of the last game. Is he someone who you think Spurs fans still probably need to give time to, or is he someone you believe that can be one of the leading scores on this offense? Or do you think he's better suited for maybe, you know, being that third, fourth guy, a guy who brings energy, who's cutting? It's tough to tell at this point. There have been times when he looks like he, he could be the Spurs' leading scorer. At this point, I think the main thing holding him back is he's not hitting his threes. I think he's shooting under 20% so far, which he hasn't been a huge three-point shooter in his whole career, although he was kind of advertised as a 3 and D player coming out of college. If he can just get a respectable three-point shooter, you know, even plus 30%, that would – help a lot that would be a few more points a game for him and again it would make defenders respect him more and open the driving lanes more so kind of like similar to DeJounte Murray I don't think he could ever be the player on a championship team but he could definitely be a you know a really good third option if the Spurs can get those players around him but as far as I'm from what he's shown me so far he's a keeper yeah, I think he's a keeper too. There's only a few guys on this team who I probably wouldn't be willing to move. Keldon Johnson is one of them. A guy who the Spurs may end up moving. I don't know. We'll see about it. Thaddeus Young. He's played really well over this last three-game stretch without Yaka Pertle. Drew Eubanks has done a pretty good job too. Is he someone who you think once Yaka Pertle comes back into the lineup, they should still continue to look for minutes for him? Or do you even think it's a possibility that he continues to receive minutes? Because we know Pop, we've seen guys like Luka in the past where they get minutes while other guys are out, but then when they come back, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of cast aside. Is he someone they should look to get minutes for even once Jakob's back? As long as he keeps playing like he is right now, definitely. I mean, those first few games, he looked 
completely lost and the Spurs were not better with him on the floor. He, since he's gotten more minutes and gotten to play more with his teammates, he definitely looks a lot more comfortable and like he fits. I could see it going in a matchup situation because, I mean, one thing he can't make up for is he is on the small side for a small ball center. He's a power forward. And there have been games where we've seen teams who have, you know, sizable backup bigs really give him trouble. I think uh, the Mavericks was one of them with uh, Boban Marjanovic. Not that there are many players with the size to stop him, but <laughs> we digress. But so I think there will be matchups that are better suited for Drew Eubanks as the backup. But I think uh, Pop respects Thaddeus Young enough that he will get his minutes and may just get split with Eubanks some. Plus, if the Spurs want to get some trade value back for him, they need to keep playing him, and they don't have anything to lose by playing him. That's for sure. That's my thought process too, and and I'm not sure if you've noticed it. I'm sure you have, but when he's out there, it really encourages the rest of those guys to be moving off ball because you know, as long as you're moving, and Tom Orsborn from the San Antonio Express News wrote about it. As long as you're moving, Thadjik Johnson is going to find the you know find you. He's going to get you the ball as long as you're moving, and I think he's done that better than pretty much any big who's come through San Antonio or, or big. I'll put that in quotations big since maybe Boris Diaw. And I know he's not necessarily the same level of passer or creative creativity, but he's definitely a guy who can find guys who are cutting, who are moving along the perimeter. Really like that from him. I hope he continues to get minutes, but what we'll have to see, you know, is, is he a guy who's going to be in the rotation? I'm not sure. It's hard to get answers out of pop. Even if you go to the press game, you know, press conferences and ask him questions, but he's a guy who I like a lot. And, and Drew Eubanks is another guy I like a lot. And, you know, I'd also love to get your opinion on Yaka Pertle. Do you think this team is going to be a playoff slash play-in team once he comes back? Because they've actually played pretty well without Jakob in the lineup. I think he will still definitely help when he comes back. I mean, some of those losses we've seen without him where, you know, I noticed this against the Mavs is – Part of the problem is the Spurs were struggling to keep them off the offensive glass, and that was not a problem before Pirtle went out. I think they still definitely meet him. Drew Eubanks has done a very admirable job filling in for him. He had he had a little tough opening stretch <laughs> yesterday and got pulled quickly, but he was perfect after that. And he's been making his free throws. He made 10 of 13 yesterday, which the Spurs barely averaged 16 free throws a game, so that was nice. But uh, they will definitely be better off once they have Pirtle back, especially as they start facing teams again with uh, with better starting centers. Yeah, and unfortunately, and I hate to do this to the Spurs, but Orlando, OKC, Sacramento, that is maybe the easiest three-game stretch for them for the entire season. But I kind of want to also talk about the Dallas Mavericks, who are their upcoming upcoming opponent. You know, for, for you, what are some of the keys of the game for the game for San Antonio to walk away with a victory there? One thing that worries me a little bit is that Porzingis is probably back. I think they missed some prime opportunities not beating Dallas without him because Porzingis gave them a lot of trouble last year. Now they're likely going to face him tomorrow without Pirtle, which worries me. But that being said, the I know the Mavs starters have struggled a lot. I think they've been a net negative unit for them. Their three-point shooting has not been good. And the Spurs were in both games against them and even had sizable leads at one point, but just couldn't hold off the inevitable surge led by Luka Doncic. So just keep, you know, forcing them off of the three-point line. Don't let them get hot. You know, do your best to keep the Mavs bigs off the board. I know that's going to be hard with Porzingis 
and Boban. And then they also have like Dwight Powell and, you know, all these guys that can just kill, kill you on the board. So protect the glass, keep moving on offense. And I would say just force Doncic to do everything. Don't let anyone else get going because Doncic can, can be inconsistent. He has struggled shooting against the Spurs, I think kind of his whole career. I think Murray's done a good job against him. So those are my keys. Yeah, and I think those are pretty good keys to the game. And especially with Chris Stapps Porzingis, we talked about it on the last podcast when Dame was on. He averaged 27-12 against the Spurs last year on 55-49-93 shooting splits, which that's insane. If he did that every night, he would be an MVP. And against the Spurs, he has looked like an MVP. So hopefully they can find a way to mitigate him, mitigate Boban Marjanovic to a, to a certain degree. I'm not sure you're really going to be able to stop either of those guys. But DeJounte Murray, Derek White, they always seem to do a pretty good job on Luka Doncic. And the guy who really killed the Spurs last time was Jalen Brunson. I mean, he's been a Spurs killer this year. I'm not really sure what happened. He's having a really good season, even by his standards leading up to the season. But, man, he's been really good against them. He scored 11 straight points in the clutch last time, which is more clutch points than any Spur not named DeJounte Murray has the entire season. So he's a guy that they probably need to keep an eye on as well. And for me, that probably starts with keeping Doug McDermott off the floor in the fourth quarter. I know that they need a shooting, but man, they hunted those switches. That was really tough to see. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not super confident that the Spurs beat this team, but you're right. They did stay close in every other matchup that they've played them in. And I don't know, I'm going to San Antonio this weekend. I'm going to be there while they're there. I'm not going to be at the game, but you know, maybe I'll be a little bit of good luck coming back home. Maybe so. And, and maybe whatever Juju got into Buddy Hill last night that kept him from going off, maybe they can pass that on to Brunson. We'll, we'll go on to more serious topics here. We have a couple of tidbits of news from earlier in the week. The Spurs announced Jock Landale will miss an unspecified amount of time after joining Yaka Pirtle in health and safety protocols. What do you think this means for a guy who already has struggled to break into the rotation? I feel bad for him because when specifically asked why he hadn't gotten more minutes pops reasoning has been that you know the concussion that he suffered in the preseason when he took an inadvertent elbow from Lonnie Walker really set him back I don't know if that's completely accurate or if you know just like Thaddeus Young and Drew Eubanks have impressed more I mean I I don't know the you know complete lowdown on that and pop will never tell us all of it I do think whatever chances he's getting, you know, the rotten luck with the concussion now going into health and safety protocols just keeps pushing him further down the totem pole. And I, I think at this point he's going to be hard pressed to get regular minutes. I agree with you hundred percent. He's a guy who I wanted to see get minutes because I think he provides a different dynamic as a stretch big, but he has some defensive limitations. He also has, you know, not played with the Spurs really and to any degree. And he's a guy who's a rookie. I mean, those kind of guys are always going to have a tough time getting on the floor for pop led teams. And as much as it's tough for Jock Landale, as long as guys like Drew Eubanks and Yaka Pirtle and Thaddeus Younger playing well, you know, I'll, I'll probably be okay with him being on the bench. We also saw Josh Primo get recalled from the G League and he was promptly set right back down to the G League for this game that's coming up against the Mexico City Capitanes. What do you think about how the Spurs are handling his developmental situation in this first year? You have a lot of people who are saying, you know, you need to get him in the game every single game. And then you have people who, like me, are fine with him being in the G League. Where do you stand on that issue? I'm fine with it. I see no reason why he should be getting minutes over any of the Spurs 
main guard rotation right now, maybe except Bryn Forbes, who <laughs> still has his uses in the right situations, which, you know, he showed last night when, when he's hitting his shots, he's perfectly useful. So I would much rather see Primo getting minutes and development and extra practices in Austin than sitting on the end of the bench waiting for, you know, blowouts to get some garbage time minutes. Cause you know, like you said about Landale and I mean, even though he and Primo couldn't be further apart, one's an undrafted free agent and one's a lottery pick. This is still rookies and Greg Popovich we're talking about. <laughs> he, you know, Primo just isn't going to get the minutes in San Antonio, especially with the deep rotation they have. So I'm fine with him developing in Austin and then calling him up just for the experience and to remain close to the team every now and then. I think they're handling it perfectly so far. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I couldn't be more on board. I think a lot of fans see Devin Vassell last year come in and immediately play and they go, well, you know, why isn't Primo playing? But I think at the same time, it's, it's easy to forget that Devin Vassell was drafted as a guy who was considered NBA ready, who had a defined role, you know, three and D that's exactly what he brought to the Spurs last season. And Derek white was also missing a ton of games. So they needed him to play. They don't necessarily need Josh Primo at the moment. And I think like you mentioned him getting, you know, a ton of reps and a ton of minutes in the G league is going to help his long-term development. He's still only 18 years old. I'm not really sure if I would be ready if I was in his position to play in the NBA every single night, especially when, you know, he didn't have the best numbers during, you know, summer league. He had some good flashes during the preseason, but I don't think there's any need to rush him coming into the league and and playing for the Spurs right away. I think the Spurs are handling it perfectly. And I want to sort of begin to wrap things up here with our weekly numbers segment. So if you have three, you know, Spurs specific statistics that you want to share with me, go for it. Or if you want me to go first, let me know. Well, I will say the current stat line that I'm obsessed with, and this is thanks to Andrew Lopez of ESPN. He pointed out in this week's power rankings that the only other players to ever record 17 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and two steals were Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. And <laughs> I think at the moment, uh, DeJounte Murray's rebounds have maybe dipped to like 7.9 or something. But I could see him accomplishing that. I mean, that's not even something that, you know, triple-double machine Russell Westbrook even accomplished. So I'm watching that stat line hard. I've become oddly obsessed with it. And so that is those are my Spurs stats to watch is can DeJounte Murray accomplish something that only Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan have? That'd be really cool to see him in there. And, and, and I don't mean this in like a bad way or anything, but I do remember a few years ago, Thaddeus Young was in this graphic with like Larry Bird and LeBron James. And, and I think Michael Jordan, where it was like the only players to ever average 20 point or like 15 points and three rebounds and five, something like that. And I thought that's, that's perfect. I love that. I love that uh, Andrew Lobos was able to find something like that for DeJounte. I think even if he isn't a Michael Jordan, or even if he isn't a Magic Johnson, he's been really good this season. And, and I, my first stat that I'd love to share with you here is that he has been in the 99th percentile as a transition scorer this season. And I think that's awesome. He's been easily, to me, the best transition player in the NBA. He's not going to wow you off the dribble a ton in the half court, but he knows how to run a fast break. He knows how to score in the fast break. And I think that's really encouraging for a team that, hey, they, they may not be great in the half court, but they love to run. They love to run in transition. They love to push the pace. And they've done exactly that this season. Yeah, definitely. And another stat I would like to add is I would like to see if the Spurs continue to lead the league in points in the paint. 
but be towards the bottom in free throw attempts that, you know, <laughs> I don't know if this is part of, you know, that I know free throw attempts are down across the league right now because the uh, league is trying to limit non-basketball moves and players creating contact. But I think it's also just, you know, part of the fact that Spurs don't have any stars that, you know, have a reputation with the refs and just aren't going to get the calls that some players get. So I, I think that's another wild stat to track is do the Spurs continue to lead the league in scoring in the paint while being at the bottom in free throw attempts? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think Keldon Johnson for me is the only guy who consistently gets calls. I think occasionally they miss calls on Keldon Johnson. He's not a star player. He doesn't have that reputation, but largely I think the rest of the Spurs roster just isn't that aggressive. Even when they're in the paint, you have guys like Lonnie and DeJounte and Devin who like even when they get into the paint, they sort of contort their way out of contact. They don't want to be hit. They'll make finishes a little bit harder than they need to be. So I don't know if that's some of the problem, but also the Spurs, I mean, they lived in the paint. They lead the league in points in the paint. They're a team that likes to get to the rim, even if they don't finish particularly well in the rim. But I, you know, I, I hope they're able to up those free throw attempts. We saw them take what I think it was, if I have it here in front of me and, and the numbers are correct, it looks like they took... 32 free throw attempts or not 32, I'm sorry, 31 free throw attempts last night, which, you know, that's a step in the right direction. Even if that won't maintain for the rest of the season, maybe the refs go, Hey, maybe we could give the Spurs a little bit of a break and give them a few more calls. Cause even though I think they've largely done the right thing, I think they have missed a few here and there. And there's always the Greg Popovich factor. He'll always be good to work over the refs for a foul or two. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and the last stat here that I want to share with you is or not the last one, I guess this is the, the second one. My second one here is per cleaning the glass, the silver and black have played like a 46 win team. Does that number surprise you at all? And do you think that's a, a number that is realistic for them to reach the season? Or, you know, with the, the, the recent slate they've had, are they probably closer to that 35, 36 win range? I mean, coming into the season, that would be the absolute ceiling I would have given them. And at this point, I still would. I'd I don't see them putting together long enough winning streaks to be able to reach that. I do think like the Vegas stats of 25 wins or 23 or whatever they were are, are way too low. I, I definitely see them as a team winning in, in the thirties, maybe approaching 40. And it just depends on what side of the thirties they are on as to if they can you know be a play in team or a lottery team. Do you have a preference? And, and I don't, uh, I, I guess I want to know what your preference would be for them for this season are you a, a person who wants them to win a lot of games or as many games as possible or are you someone who you know maybe it's okay if they lose a few games because they might get a good lottery pick I understand the desire to tank and get a good lottery pick my problem is I every time I sit down and watch the Spurs I want to see a win regardless of anything it makes me happy it has <laughs> since I was a little girl during the David Robinson era and so I, I cannot in good conscience sit down and say, I hope the Spurs lose. I want to see them win as many games as they can, make the playoffs, prove everyone wrong. And quite frankly, that's a good building foundation to start bringing in higher tier free agents. I mean, the, the big names aren't going to come to a losing franchise, even if they think they can be the piece to turn it around. So, yeah, I mean, winning and making the plan may not get you the best draft pick overall, but I think it's a better long, long-term strategy. Not every season can work out and get you a Tim Duncan. 
That's true. That's 100% true. I think I'm still probably on the other end of the spectrum where I'm fine if they lose games. I don't like when they lose. It makes me a little bit sad. I grew up in San Antonio. I was a Spurs fan. Everybody knows that. I mean, they're a team that I've rooted for since I was a kid. I mean, I was brought up on Spurs basketball, always be a Spurs fan at heart. But at the same time, you know, I look at guys like Paolo Benchero and Chet Holmgren and Jalen Duran, like it would be nice for the Spurs to have a top end guy. And I think just being in San Antonio, even though I'll always love that city and I'm excited to come back this weekend, you know, I don't know that free agents feel the same way. You know, even if the Spurs are a little bit better, I don't know that they feel the same way. I think it's maybe their best shot at getting that superstar player, but I understand both sides of the argument. And, and before we close things out here, I wanted to give one last stat. So the Spurs have catapulted after this last game from middle of the pack to the ninth best defense in the league. Is that an area where you really believe that they are that good? Or do you think it was just a recent game that, you know, sort of skewed the numbers in their favor? I think they are pretty close to a top 10 defense. I mean, they started uh, as a top 10 defense, even, you know, in that brutal schedule. And I think a lot of that was thanks to having Yaka Pirtle. It took a little dip there and then it's uh, come back up. So, I mean, it'll be inconsistent. But overall, they have the personnel to be a top 10 defense. And, you know, you you watch them play de defense. And for the most part, it's not like they're getting lucky that the other team isn't scoring that much. I mean, they're, you know, forcing turnovers to prevent shots, you know, with players like Derek White, like you were saying, they're contesting very well. I don't think it's an accident that they are a top 10 defense, give or take. Absolutely. I mean, for me, uh, before the season started, I made a, a few predictions on the the, the preseason, the season preview pod that I did. And I said that this is a top 10 defense. I don't think that they're going to win a ton of games, but I think they're going to be really good defensively. And despite what you know, ESPN right now has them as the fifth easiest schedule in the NBA up to this point, I think you could argue that maybe that's not 100% accurate. But even if you believe that's true, They've been really good on the defensive end. Their numbers back it up. They're one of the best teams at defending the three-point line. They've been really good around the rim. And those are the two places where the majority of every team scores the ball. There's not a lot of mid-range anymore. You know, teams have moved further and further away from that. And even though the Spurs are not very good at defending the mid-range, doesn't matter that much. They're forcing, uh, you know, teams to get to the rim. They're making it really tough to shoot on the perimeter. And like you mentioned, they have a really good group of defenders, whether that be DeJounte Murray, Derek White, you know, Lonnie Walker has his flashes. Keldon Johnson has his flashes, but Devin Vassell's consistently good. Thaddeus Young has been really good as of late. Yaka Pirtle we know is really good. And we could, we could probably make an, another list of three or four players who have been really good on that end. So I trust that the Spurs are going to continue to be really good defensively. I'm confident that they're going to be a top 10 defense. And now that we've sort of gone through everything, I'd love to give you a chance to you know, plug anything that you want, let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find your wonderful content. And also just thank you so much for joining me for this edition of Alamo City Limits. Well, I have had a great time talking to you. I've been looking forward to it. Just like with Noah, you can find me at Pounding the Rock. I usually try to get my fair share in, in every week. On Twitter, you can follow me at AlamoAggie08. Yes, I'm an Aggie. Sorry. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I've been with Pounding the Rock. I think this is my sixth season, and I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. I've just loved it. It's a great community, and everyone should come check it out. I agree 100% with that. You're one of the people who I read along with Bruno and Jesus and, and JR on Pounding the Rock before I joined y'all. I've been there for two and a half years now. 
absolutely love it. Everybody there is great. And I hope I can continue to write for Pounding the Rock for quite a long time. But again, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks for everyone who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock, including Marilyn, who do an amazing job of keeping everyone up to date with their favorite teams. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.